Well, good morning. Welcome to Lifestone Church. We're glad you're here this morning. If anyone knows where my Bible is. Where? Huh? What? What? This is a weird intro, right? Ah, here it is. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, well I guess I'll share a message with you this morning. After all. Just a sec. trying to be as awkward as possible this morning. Hey guys, if you're new here this morning and you haven't had a chance to go to the uh, new here little area in our lobby, uh, we just have a gift we want to give you. We want to let you know how much we appreciate you being with us, let you know a little bit about our church and something to take home to remember us by. And the other thing we're really trying to get you to do is I've done this very scientific technical survey and I found out that kids today Um, For every 10,000 words that they text, they only say one word verbally today. Okay, that's not actually accurate, but that's just my guesstimation. And we are just in a culture nowadays that we really communicate through texting a lot. We want to communicate with you. We want you to know what's happening at Lifestone Church. And so in your program, you've got a... um, a number there to text. If you guys haven't done this, we just encourage you to get connected to our our texting line. All you do is text welcome to that number. And if you don't want to uh, to hear from us, all you have to do is text stop and you won't hear from us, okay? But we'd, we'd really like to let you know all the things that are happening. Just in the lobby, uh, after the first service, I was talking to someone who's wondering about our our, uh, our Bible study opportunities, what's, what's available. We've got life classes and life groups that are going to be starting in, in the fall again. Uh, and so you guys will be hearing about those. But through that texting thing, you'll get that kind of information. So we appreciate you guys doing that. Well, guys, let me pray, and we're going to jump into Romans. God, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to come here, gather, worship you, connect with you. God, I, I pray that you really would surprise us this morning. Uh, surprise somebody here this morning that that maybe we're distracted by by so many other things but God we want to hear from you and I pray that you would just uh, come into our busy lives here this morning and 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 God just speak to us God we want to hear your truth and Lord we want to be transformed and changed by it and we pray these things in Jesus name amen well guys we've been walking through the book of Romans which I absolutely love And uh, we are finally in chapter 12, Um, and uh, what we're going to do this morning is, as some of the passages, it's been, if you've been a part of churches that have walked through books of the Bible, sometimes uh, you really go verse by verse, and and I think sometimes you lose the big picture, and and you kind of miss the forest because you're examining the tree so so intently, Um, but in Romans 12, This is such a beautiful chapter of how God changes us and what he wants us to do in response to what he's done. And so um, I really want to focus and look at the trees more carefully in Romans chapter 12. And so last week we looked at Romans 12, 8, and we looked at this this, uh, idea and this concept of the generosity that, that God wants us to have. And it's not about, oh, here's the church again trying to make us feel guilty to give us, or give us money or whatever. It's, it's about how we completely think differently and have different priorities uh, than the world. 
And, and we view everything that we have, even the, the gifts and the finances God's given us, we, we just have a different perspective on them. Today, we're going to look at uh, a passage in Romans 12, 9. We're just going to go one verse over and look at how God wants to transform us. Because here's the deal. God wants us, I think, to be incredibly attractive like me. No, don't worry, not like me. Um, I, I think God wants us to reflect his incredible compassion and mercy and love and kindness in such a way that the world's like, I want me some of that. Like, that is beautiful. That is awesome. Why are you different? What has changed within you? Why do you have a different way of looking at the world? That we are supposed to be ambassadors of Christ. And what that means is we represent him. And how we interact and what we do um, should reflect that. And so Romans chapter 12 is, is, well, how does God change us? And how are we transformed? And it begins by saying, well, it starts with changing the way we think. And that it's not a one-time deal. Like, okay, 11 chapters of, hey, you can't make it to God on your own. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't be moral enough. You can't have, have grown up in the right setting or right nationality or any of that doesn't make you right with God. Jesus and what he has done alone makes you right with God. And we understand that. And then what 12 gets to, what we've talked a lot, if you've been with us, this is how we respond. This isn't how we continue to earn it or, or somehow um, add to what God's done. But this is because of what God's done. Man, therefore, is how it, how it begins. Therefore, we're going to live this kind of life. We're going to let God live through us in this way. And so it talks about how we change our mind. It's not a one-time thing that we say, okay, I, I understand Jesus did it all. I can't on my own make myself right with God. There's not some religious system. There's not a set of uh, values or morals that I follow to make me right with God. It's Jesus. So I accept that. And I I, I, I present faith towards Jesus that he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. The Bible says that's what saves you. That's what brings you into the kingdom, adopts you into God's family. It's not that one-time decision that we're talking about in Romans 12 that's transformative. It is. It says we're renewing our mind. And what this renewing of our mind to respond to what God's done to us is an ongoing thing. It's a constant realignment. Man, we had a bad winter last year, right? Tons of snow. There's still snow on the mountains, right? A little bit. I had probably snow in the mountains yesterday. I don't know. I know some ski lifts were open on July 4th, right? Anybody go skiing on July 4th? Crazy. Um, and so we know maybe especially this year, we got a lot of pot, potholes and stuff, and, and your car constantly needs realigned as it drives in the roads around here. And that's the same idea that we're constantly going, how does God think about these things? And so that's what we're going to look at uh, in Romans 12, 9. Let's look at the verse. It, it begins by saying, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. I love the way that's phrased in Scripture. Uh, and I'm not trying to diss any, anybody maybe in sales or anything like that. But, you know, you ever, you ever have that kind of situation where uh, someone's trying to sell you something? And man, they sure seem like they like you, right? A little too much. And you're like, okay, I know why you're being so nice to me. I know why you're, you know. And, and I love, like we experience that in the world all the time, you know. But, but it says, hey, how we're supposed to be 
different and change and reflect who God is. We really genuinely love people, which means that we care about them. We care about their circumstance, what they're going through, uh, what, you know, what, uh, what they're walking through uh, in life. Um, and then it goes on, and this is really what we're going to focus on this morning. It says, hate what is wrong. The Bible commands you to hate something. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. And the reason I want to focus on this half verse this morning is because I think it's so easy to just skip by that, to read it very quickly and go, okay, yeah, yeah, I can hate what's wrong. And I think here's, here's our big challenge. Uh, and, and as we start in, our, in the program, number one, how does God define what is wrong or what is evil? Some translations may put it, same thing. So, so how do we even define that, though? Because we could read by that really quickly, and there's an easy list of things that I think most of us would agree with that are evil or that are wrong. Like people who abuse other people and, uh, and, and lying and cheating and people who are killing other people and terrorism. And, you know, like here's a bunch of things that, you know, most people I think could easily say that, that's wrong. And if we just measure it by that, it's easy to come up with a list that things that maybe we don't struggle with or things that, you know, um, we've, uh, uh, we can just easily identify that's not challenging to, to how we live or how we think. So it's really not transforming the way we think or, or our lives very much. And so what I want to do this morning is define it in the way God defines it. So what we're going to do is look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, a very famous passage that talks about what God calls evil. And see, here's the challenge, to see if there's anything that challenges us in going, oh, well, that's something that may be in my life that I need to, to, to wrestle with or, or, or reexamine to see if God wants me to deal with something. So in Proverbs 6, 16, it says, There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Now, there's my question right off the bat in heaven. Like, what, what, what kind of weird, <laughs> like, correction was this? There's six. No, no, wait, I think it was seven. Uh, but anyways, v- verse 17, it goes on to say, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. Um, So I read that list, and I think, man, almost all of those are kind of in that category of like we can easily agree and identify. But there's some in there for me that are more challenging. And it really starts with the very first one. Haughty eyes. First of all, like, what is that pointing to? What does that mean? And, it, and it's talking about a lack of humility. Anytime we look down on someone else and think, well, well, I'm superior in some way to you. Anytime we do that, we are having haughty eyes. We're having a lack of humility. Um, it's, it's pride. It's, it's really the foundation and the root of all rebellion and sin against God. That we got this, I got this figured out, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, I'm, I'm, I'm wonderful and talented enough that I'll figure out life and I'll do things on my terms. That's really the foundation of sin 
And this is something that's kind of pointing out a real specific thing. Like, God, man, it, his stomach turns is, is the, the kind of picture, word picture I get of, of, of he just detests this, this, this superiority. Jesus, I mean, you think about his life and his ministry, uh, his very act of humbling himself, putting on human skin to come down, to live a perfect life, to, to give his life as a sacrifice. He just again and again and again tried to instill in his followers this incredible sense of humility that we should have as his followers. One of the last great acts that he did, a teachable moment, before he goes to the cross, is sitting down with his disciples and washing their feet and doing this thing that was very common then. I think sometimes it's a little interesting if we try to do that exactly now. There's something wrong with that. But what would be a a similar thing to doing that um, in our our context might be a little different. But that was a common thing, the, the foot washing. But it was the lowest of the low servant in the household that did that. And Jesus, he's the one that got on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples. Of course, you know, some of the reaction of, of some of the disciples was like, Abs- what are you doing? Absolutely not. But showing this, this strong, strong sense that God has called us to have incredible humility and that pride is something that can really trip us up. And, and that is something in the category of like, oh, yeah, mass murderers, that's wrong, that's easy, skip on, let's not reflect on this very much. No, where's pride in, in my life? And do I look down on others? Do I have some superiority? I mean, sadly, I see it in, in church a lot, where, where sometimes we look down and we think, oh, we have better theology, or we have better methodology, or we have, you know, whatever it might be, and we look down even at our fellow brothers and sisters, which makes me jump to the next one that shocks well, I don't know if shock might be too strong a term, but that kind of makes me go, ooh, that's something I, I should really pay attention to. Because we go through that list, and it's like, okay, someone who plots evil, kills innocent, lies, runs to do something wrong, yeah, sows discord in a family. Uh, oh, that one's more challenging to where I live. And God's given us different contexts of families uh, you know, he's given us all some sort of biological, biological family. Um, God's given us um, a church family. Uh, just if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, if you put your trust and faith in him, you're adopted into God's family as a brother or sister uh, or a son or daughter of his. And then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we, we're a part of this church family. And then you really should be a part of a local church family where you're known uh, people know you, and, and you know them, and you contribute and pour, uh, contribute to, to each other in, in accomplishing God's, God's work. But, man, that one's more challenging to me personally. Like, just discord, like um, causing trouble and, and, and just uh, people to be uh, griping and complaining within a family-type setting. Um, but that's what God's Word should do to us. Not what I often do, read the Bible and go, okay, how, can, how is it lining up with what I already think? That's not Bible. The description of God's word is that it's supposed to be a mirror, right? To go, okay, how do I look at this and see 
the things that, that, that I should change, that God wants me to change in my life. Um, in Romans 1.28, going back a few months to what we looked at, there's a description of people who aren't following God. And, and that, that may be another good definition for, for evil or uh, for wrong. And so it gives a picture of that. But what are the things in this list that may challenge me or challenge you? Since they thought it, uh, Romans 1, uh, verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. So again, we see the root and the foundation of doing something wrong and evil is this pride and and boastfulness. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Ooh, I'm looking at you kids. Like some of these things, I you know, I try not to smile and go, oh, man, that's a that's a heavy list, and that's easy to go, yeah, yeah, we're disobey my parents is in that same list. Gossip is in that same list. Um, They refuse to understand. They break promises. And and then the last two I think are interesting. They're heartless and they have no mercy. And this will go into what we look at. Well, what does God define as good? Well, the opposite, the flip side of it is being heartless and having no mercy. And that should characterize us as God followers, of course, having mercy and being full of compassion and kindness. So the definition I would give real simply of wrong or evil is anything that takes us away from God. And that's the point of these things. It's not some, you know, list to try to, you know, God just gave us a random list. Like he knows the end result of evil takes us away from him. And hurts other people. Number two, what does it mean to hate what is wrong? In that just last um, part of, of uh, Romans 12, 9. What does it mean to hate what is wrong? Well, what does God say about that? So this is an interesting word that we, we see. We only see this word, the original Greek word that we have translated as hate in most of our English translations. It's the only time it's used in all the Bible. And, and so we see hate translated other words many times. So, so this is a little unique, and, and it does, hate's a good translation, but it very specifically means recoil from. That you're kind of, I, I used the term, your stomach turns early, earlier, but kind of that. That when you see it, you're presented with it, you, you know, you, you come, you're encountered with it, there's an immediate reaction of, of ugh getting away, like, oh, that's, I, I don't want anything to do with that. You recoil from it. And, and, and basically, I think that's important in this verse because we see this principle that we can become very calloused to these issues that we deal with. The old classic illustration, if you, if you have any church background, you probably heard a, a bunch of preachers use this illustration of the frog uh, boiling in water. Frog boiling in water illustration? Yes, yes, see, okay. Okay, well, that's good. We'll be familiar that it, it goes that uh, if you boil water, bubbling 
and you throw a frog in there, they'll immediately jump out. But uh, if you put the water or put the frog in lukewarm water and slowly heat it up, they'll they'll never jump out and they'll just boil to death. I don't know if that's scientifically accurate, but the whole idea is you just get accustomed to the environment, right? And slowly and slowly you get to a point where it's devastating and it's uh, actually, you know, uh, uh, destroys a life. And so that's what we see the picture of and warnings that we get in Scripture that can happen to us because we're in a messed up, broken world. A um, couple illustrations that, that uh, we see in Scripture that I thought would relate to this is Lot, Abraham's nephew. Um, way back in Genesis, we went through the whole book of Genesis, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago. And uh, we saw that um, Lot, or I'm sorry, Abraham was so generous to Lot, he actually gave his nephew first choice of where he, he would settle. And um, he picked this very fertile valley, um, but it was also near a very wicked city. And um, the, the Bible says that this city was so wicked that God couldn't even find 10 righteous people in this entire city. And so what's interesting is you see the progression of Lot is that he, he moves in kind of close by to the city, and it seems to be motivated by greed, that here's a bunch of people, and, and he can kind of, you know, make money off of this, being connected to them and stuff. And later on in Genesis, you see that he's actually living in the city, and not only living in the city, he's actually like on the city council, like one of the leaders in the city. And, and because, uh, not that that would be bad necessarily, but because of the, the description of this city, that it is so evil, it, it obviously is influencing him. Um, and so in Psalms 1.1, I think this is interesting. This is how Psalms begins. It says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. So what's interesting is how Psalms begins talks about these three progressions that can happen to get you caught up in, in being connected to something that's really what, what God's word says is wrong or evil. Is that um, those who just kind of follow the advice of the wicked, like, okay, they're not, I mean, they don't have the, the perspective of God or his values, but okay. I'm being influenced. I'm actually listening to the advice. And then the next step is that, okay, you're, you're more closely connected. You're standing around. So I, I imagine Lot, like this really connects with him. Like, okay, I'm getting close enough to hear from these people in the city, and I'm probably I'm being influenced by what, they, what they're telling me. And, and now I'm like going into the city, and hey, I might as well just move to the city. And I'm standing around with them. And then eventually he's like, well, hey, guys, let's have a seat. Let's just hang out. You're my people. I'm being influenced by you. And that's kind of the picture we get of, of uh, what Psalms uh, warns us against. Um, the, other, the other example I thought in Scripture was good was Samson. All right? Uh, in Sunday school, Jackson yesterday asked me, what superhero would I be, right, if I could be? And anyways, I had to think about that deep question. But um, 
Samson, kind of one of the superheroes, it seems like, of the Old Testament, he takes this Nazarite vow, and part of it is he doesn't cut his hair, and God gives him the supernatural strength. He uses him in leadership, even though he makes a lot of bad decisions and stuff, for 16 years, and then this temptation of of Samson comes along, even though he's warned against uh, what influence this will be, but a lady named Delilah comes around, right? And what does Delilah lead him to do? Uh, she's trying to figure out the, the key to his, his strength. And so she, like, sweet talks him. Hey, pokey bear, honey bear, what, what is the key to your strength? And, and he lies the first few times, but he, he, he has this close connection, of course, and he's very drawn to her. And he says, hey, if I'm tied up, all my strength will, will leave me. And so he falls asleep, and he wakes up all tied up. And then what does she say? The Philistines are coming. The Philistines. And he breaks his ties, and he kicks some tail. That's, that's what the Bible says. And um, I don't think it puts it that way. But, um, and then the next instance where she's like, oh, that didn't work. That, he was lying to me. And so she goes up to him again, pokey bear, honey, poo. Um, what really is it? You were lying to me. He says, well, if you braid my hair, all my strength will leave me. He falls asleep. He wakes up, hair's braided. She's like, the Philistines are coming, right? He gets up, destroys them. And uh, you're thinking what I'm thinking, right? Samson, dude, get a clue, Right? But, but we're so, he's the frog in the lukewarm water that's getting warmer and warmer. He's like, things are fine. Things are still working out. I still have my strength. And then the last time, she's like really, you know, using everything that's drawing him to her, I'm sure, and, 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 and saying, really, give me the truth. You know, what is it? And he tells her it's his, it's his hair and this vow that he made. And, and so he wakes up, falls asleep, wakes up, hair's cut. And then we get one of the most sad verses in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 16, verse 20. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. And that's the picture that we get, that we can be very calloused towards what God has called us to and directed us to. And we just think, well, Nothing's gonna, everything's been fine, been fine before, and I can just continue like this. But God, in a loving way, is trying to guide us and direct us. Um, number three, hold tightly to what is good. How does God define good? This, I think, can take a shorter amount of time than, than we focused on, on what he calls bad. But following God um, and obeying God, that's what's good. There's a great definition. What's good? Doing what God says to do. That, that's what's good. Micah 6.8 gives us a little bit more description. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We're seeing some patterns here in what God has called us to do as a people. Uh, some translations will see, um, say to, to uh, fight for, to, to do what is just. Um, and the idea here is that as we follow what God wants us to do that is good, that we're helping those who are oppressed. We're helping those that genuinely have needs. That's what kind of people we are, and that's what God says is good. But then it goes on to say, and love mercy. And what does mercy mean? 
love those who don't deserve it. Take care of the needs of people who they, they don't deserve it um, because God has shown mercy to us. And so we're to be merciful people and extend that, that level of kindness and goodness and love. Very different from what the world would come up with. Um, and then, of course, this, this theme that we've seen, to do it very humbly. And I think that's interesting because as we step into and, and, and try to live out what God calls as good, man, we, I think we talked about this last week, right? We could be like, oh, yeah, I'm so awesome. Check me out. But, but all we're doing is following and obeying what God's called us to do, and we're reflecting what he has showered into uh, upon us, really. And so he gets the credit for that. And as soon as we start going, hey, look at how loving and compassionate and caring I really am, uh, then we can step into this, this pride, uh, which is really distasteful, and, and, and that's exactly what God says about it and can lead us uh, away from God. Um, so evil, here, let me give you some more simple definitions. What is wrong? What is evil? It's helpful to us, but it hurts other people. Like, why is God, like, pick and choose? That? I don't want you to do that, do that. Because it's tempting to us. We think, hey, this is going to bring me satisfaction. This is going to be something that, you know, I, I really desire and is going to be wonderful. But in the end, it hurts other people, whoever that might be. That's what God describes as evil. And, um, and good is helpful to others while it's costly for me or costly for you. That, that we actually have to sacrifice to do good. That we put other people ahead of ourselves. Do you see how radically contrasting that is and how different that is? Number four, what does it mean to hold tightly to what is good? Um, and, and the way that this is given, it's a command to us who, are, who, who have been changed by Jesus and accepted everything that God has done for that first 11 chapters of Romans, that he did it all and we respond by holding tightly. But it's a command which means that it's a choice that we make, that we can choose to cling to or just hold tightly um, and focus on what is good? Philippians 4.8 is a very challenging verse, but I, I hope very encouraging as well. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You cannot help what comes into your brain. Right? If someone comes up to you and tells you like some something that's bad or evil or whatever, you're watching the news. Like, there's not some kind of filter you can put on your brain if you hear that or see that, right? Like, you're going to, that's going to go into your brain. Like, oh, okay, that's awful. That's horrible. But what the Bible is saying is, what do you dwell on? So that's very different from like, okay, you know, I mean, you can read Scripture and be like, man, these are bad things. This is an evil thing. That's a horrible thing. But it says what we should dwell on and think about. Now, that's a choice we have. What we talk about with other people, what we really put our focus on, that is a choice that we have. And it says to dwell, of course, on these beautiful things, these noble things, these excellent and praiseworthy things. And I want to give you um, th uh, three practical ways to hold tightly. So that's the first one. 
what we think about, what we choose to dwell on and really focus on. And then number two, what we pursue. And that really speaks about our priorities and what we uh, make as a priority for our calendar. Like, show me your calendar. I'll, I'll show you what your priorities really are. Fall's coming up. I will schedule around the Huskers football games. Okay? I, I would play off. You know, anybody like a playoff fan of whoever, jazz or whatever. You know, if you're a big fan, you're going to be like, okay. And thankfully, nowadays, we got, like, ways to record and stuff like that. But, you know, um, you, you, oftentimes, like, something you're passionate about, right, you, you do whatever you can to schedule around uh, that passion of yours. And, and uh, to hold tightly to what is good has to do with the priorities that we make, with our calendar, with how we, how we spend our resources and our time and how we use the talents that we have. Uh, and then the third thing, and, and I'm sorry these aren't in your program, just bonus. You guys just get bonus stuff this morning. I know you're so excited about that. Um, who I hang out with. Now, you guys know we talk, about, we talk here a lot about how we absolutely don't want to ever be a holy huddle. And sadly, that can be a tendency or even a temptation that believers can have, especially in a setting where there's not many believers. You can just, like, want to say, hey, I found Jesus. I can't believe this incredible good news and what he's done for me. And then I found some other people who know that. And, like, we just love getting together and talking about that and learning more about that and seeing how that changes us. And, man, that's just my life now. So we just all get together. And, man, I just like these people because they know this. And so we're just all going to we're gonna buy a few acres out in the middle of nowhere, stay away from these people who don't know that. And then, you know, so no one else comes in. Maybe we'll, like, build really tall walls. And, and then, you know, that's, that's bad and that's a cult and don't do that. We're never called to do that. And throughout Christian history, there's many examples of people loving God and somehow thinking that that's what God's called them to do. When instead, God's word says that we are to be salt, not in the salt shaker, out of the salt shaker. We're, we're to be light into the community. We're to go as we're going and connect with people who don't know this wonderful good news that we, we have we have learned and we've discovered that, that we are God's plan to share this with the rest of the world. And, and it's a tragedy for us to keep it to ourselves. And so, um, so that's not what we're supposed to do. But who influences you? When I'm talking about that and trying to share this good news with other people, that's about trying to influence them and be connected with them, make relationships um, um, show them in a practical way who God is by loving them, being compassionate, all these other th- good things that we've talked about. But are they influencing you? The, the determining factor there is, is who's, who's influencing. And, and the, the real core solid relationships in your life uh, really should be people who you have the most common with, who, and, and that should be people who have been transformed by by Jesus and, and have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And so who do you, what do you think about? What do you choose to dwell on? What do you pursue? What are your priorities? And who do you hang out with? And why do we do that? As we close this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come up. They've got one last song to sing for us. But as they do that, 
I've got, I, I don't know if I've ever done this. Well, I did it in the first service, but I usually don't do this. Um, group participation this morning. Because we've walked through this book of Romans and we've talked about all these wonderful things that God has given us. What he's done for us. And how what we talked about this morning in chapter 12, woohoo, that's right, that's to remind us. Is how we're responding, not how we're earning God's love or keeping God's love, but because He's done it all, this is how we respond. So, our group participation, I'm starting it. Um, what Christ has done for us forgives our sin if we accept that free gift. What else has God done for us? You guys just share with me. You know, I've, I've, I've said the list many times. He's forgiven our sins. You put your trust in Jesus. What else has he done for you? Or given you? One of the most incredible things, the, the worthiness of Jesus. Jesus is perfect, right? The only perfect person to ever live. His perfectness, worthiness, righteousness is credited to you as if you lived a perfect life. As if you were completely holy and righteous and pure. You don't deserve that. I know you. <laughs> I don't deserve that either. You're supposed to smile at that, okay? Um, it's an incredible good news and gracious gift that God gives us. Okay, so his righteousness, sorry, I get really excited about that one. I won't explain him all that much. <laughs> the Holy Spirit in our lives, God dwelling within us. And then when we get the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy, I said I wasn't going to describe them all, but I'm going to add some more. The, the gifts of the Spirit that God works in our lives. So he gives us spiritual gifts, gives us the Holy Spirit. What else? Salvation. Salvation. Eternal life is what we're promised, this incredible free gift of of salvation and eternal life. What else? Mercy. That we don't get the punishment that we do deserve. Mercy is saying, no, I'm going to take away that punishment. Of course, Jesus takes that punishment. What else? Patience. A, a gift that, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit working in us gives us something that we naturally don't have. Relation. Sorry, now I'm getting multiple. So relationship, um, the band's like, hey, we got a song to play. So um, we're adopted into God's family. We're given full sonship, full daughtership, adopted into his family. Uh, we're given a purpose that God wants to work through our lives to, to share the good news with other people and bring honor and glory to God. Um, so many things. And, and because of he, he's done all these things, that's what chapter 12 is. This is how we respond. And, and uh, so I hope we see that, and I hope God works in our life in a powerful way.